Good morning. It's great to see all of you on this incredible Sunday getting ready for Christmas. We are so close. Has the mayhem overcome you yet? I'm telling you what, I am excited about it and I'm controlling all that stuff. You really got to get a hold of Christmas, otherwise, Christmas gets a hold of you and it goes in the wrong direction. But we've been learning about this idea of beholding and how. Uh, rediscovering what God is doing in our lives. Thanks so much, Scott. And, and the incredible story that is portrayed before us every single year at this particular time. And, and don't get hung up on, uh, on things like, well, you know, the 25th isn't the real day that he was born and, you know, all that other stuff. Sometimes we can diminish the impact of a story by getting caught up in some of the technicalities of how the story was presented to us, but rather beginning to look and to behold what God is really doing in all of it. And we said beholding is different than seeing, isn't it? I mean, it really is different. Beholding is a presentation from God with intention, that God doesn't just show stuff because he wants to show stuff. God presents stuff with intentionality. And behold is also the reception or the perception of a willing heart. That God shows somebody something and then it is received in a willing heart. And that when that all works together, it produces this thing called beholding. Um, beholding talks to the soul. When you behold something, it gets deep inside of you. It prompts a response and it also becomes a catalyst for change. So the Christmas story is loaded with these beholding moments. They're not just seeing moments, they're not just doing moments, it's not just a story, but everything's being done to prompt something, to, to show something, to bring about a response in the human heart. Behold is an invitational moment established by God and it's also, at the same time, a transformative response given by man. So there, it's the double helix, and we talked about that. If you want to learn more about DNA, last week we had a really good insight on how the DNA works, the double helix, how the strands come together. But when it becomes a beholding, when it becomes something of spiritual significance that can transform or bring forth new life like DNA does, it has the components of the intentionality of God and the response of man. That's why a lot of people will say, well, I tried Christianity, it just didn't work. And it's like, well, okay, okay, maybe, maybe. I don't, you know, did you have all the components involved? I mean, was the components of the DNA really involved? The willing, teachable, learning heart ready to receive? And, and was what you heard really a presentation of the gospel as God has presented it? So over the last two weeks, we've talked about two different stories that gave us some insight about beholding and how to respond to it. We're going to go into a third story. Um, now, inter interestingly, is, is that you don't have a manger scene with this story in it. Uh, this story is actually closer to the birth of Jesus than the, than the wise men. So I don't know why whoever was deciding to put together the package called the Christmas story, you know, and all the cool slides that we have and all the little uh, uh, cantatas and things that we do at churches and kids dressing up. You know, we always bring the, shep the shepherds in. We always have the nativity scene. Then we always bring in the wise men. Well, eight days after the birth of Jesus, there's a story that happens right in the middle of it 
that we never talk about. But it is closer to the birth of Christ than the shepherds are. So as far as I'm concerned, this is a part of the Christmas story. Maybe it will become self-evident why this story is maybe not in your nativity scene. Um, I'll let you figure that out, and you can giggle when you hear the part that you think would keep it from being one of those blow-up things that you would display in the front yard. So, So let's start in the scriptures. It says, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to, to, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, his name, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. So this is a person, remember I was talking about the DNA, God doing a presentation. We have that taking place with Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus up. And then we also have the other strand of the DNA, somebody looking, meaning that they want to see God do something in their lives. These two components always have to be in play. So Simeon was righteous, devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, blessed God, and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember, every beholding has an implication with it. God doesn't just show off to show off. God doesn't just do things to do things. Everything has an implication, a meaning, something he wants to bring out. So he talks about it, my eyes the things that see have seen your salvation, the implication. That's when beholding becomes a transformative moment. He says, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And I think this is such a cool and humble statement. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. See, I was raised Catholic, and that meant some people are saints. Some people are better than other people. At least they don't say that, but it kind of ends up that way, like they were born better. Or... And so I always held that this was the holy family. And Mary and Joseph were kind of like a cut above. Now, I will say their response to God was absolutely amazing, and we all have the potentiality if we want God in our lives to respond in such a way. But what happens a lot of times when we have this, fam this holy family is that they're untouchable. There's no way that they, they can you know, have to grow in any way or maybe could possibly fail in any kind of way. And I think it's so interesting that his mother and father were amazed at the things that were being said about Jesus. It's like, wait a minute, you just had a virgin birth just about eight days ago. I mean, you're, you're not amazed already? You're still wondering on what's going on here? 
But I, I think it's amazing that there's always potentiality, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, for an expansion of beholding. I'm willing to bet that, that a quarter of the people in this auditorium today have been Christian for at least 20 years. At least 20 years. Or you've been around it. And one of the biggest problems about Christianity, at least in the life found, and that's, no, I, I've done a lot of wrong things in my life, but Christianity has never become boring. But I have seen it become boring in people's lives. Where they go to the church, they go through the routine, they always get caught up in it. It's like, yeah, 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 I know the story, the Christmas story, the Easter story, and then one other story. And it's kind of like, yeah, I'm familiar with it. And, and you can get to a point when you think you know it all. But it's interesting that for Mary and Joseph, that they were always constantly on this journey where what they thought they knew also went constantly increased. They were amazed about what this guy was saying about Jesus. So maybe today, God is talking to each and every one of us about, uh, about why that expansion is not occurring anymore. I mean, the universe is still expanding. I don't even know how the whole the thing is. I mean, it's, it, we know it's a, you know, maybe 16 billion or whatever it is since the Big Bang, but, but science shows us that this thing is just expanding, expanding. It's just going. Uh, crazy enough, it's actually accelerating. Uh, so it, the problem is, is in our Christian faith, that doesn't happen. For some reason, we just kind of like begin to collapse on ourselves in our Christian faith. We, it's no longer accelerating. It's, we're no longer growing. But, but Mary and Joseph were constantly, woof, woof, woof. and so maybe today God just wants to talk to you about what it is that's keeping you from growing, the behold from expanding in your life. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I didn't think uh, Simeon realized that he was going to be actually in the story, in the behold moment. He was helping Mary and Joseph behold better. And maybe today, if you know the story and if you're familiar with the story and, and Christ is in your heart, maybe you have forgotten that you're supposed to be a part of the bold story. You're supposed to be part of the presentation to other people, to your children, to your grandchildren, to the people that are around you, that you're part of the story. You're, you're now not just some old guy in the temple waiting, but now you're stepping into your moment where you help expand the behold in another person's life. See, Simeon sees more than eight pounds, six ounce newborn baby Jesus who hasn't said a word yet, just a little infant so cuddly but still omnipotent. He sees more than just that at this particular moment. He sees that this child will be for the rise and the fall of many. I don't know why I miss that in the Bible. I mean, because again, we only do the shepherd story, we skip this story, and we go right to the, you know, the, the Magi story. But Simeon is saying, listen, let me just tell you what the implication of Jesus is. And what he leads with is that this child will be for the rise and the fall of many. Then he says, and seeing the child, that this child will be opposed. So why is it that as American Christians, 
we only believe in things when the populace believes in things. Why is it that we affirm what is right and true, ethically, morally, and even scientifically, based upon popular vote, on whether or not everybody else is doing it? Simeon gets right out front with the implication of Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, I just want to let you know everybody's going to love him. He's going to be on TikTok. He's going to be, you know, Facebook page is going to blow up. He's going to be on Instagram. Everybody's going to love this Jesus. God's just over the top on doing amazing things. And he's like, listen, let me just tell you the first thing about Jesus. He'll be for the fall and the rise of many. It's like, wow. Have you ever considered that implication that our Jesus will not be accepted by the populace? And if we're waiting to only devote our lives to the star on the rise, then we could very well miss the Son of God. He would actually become an oppositional force in culture and in the world. I just never thought of baby Jesus that way. I never thought of the Christian faith. You know, we, we always kind of like, if something true, everybody believes it. Isn't that kind of like, we were, we're not very historically rooted anymore. We're not very scientifically rooted anymore. We basically decide whether or not get, something gets canceled or not. It's whether or not everybody accepts it or not. And we're told right from Simeon, hey, I just want to let you know, here's the behold of God. He's going to bring down a lot of people. He's going to rise up a different kind of people. And also, he's going to be highly oppositional. It's like, wow. See, and the reason why that's so important to me is because I find Christ oppositional even in me. I find him to be the rise and the fall of me. You know, because I'm always looking for a Jesus that's like, well, God, if you're really up there, why don't I feel better? God, if you're up there, why doesn't, you know, you know everybody like me? And if God, if you're up there, why don't, you know, why do I have these problems? You know, and it's like, no, he's going to be for the rise and fall. He's going to be for the revelation or the telltale of our hearts. That's what Jesus does. He, rev- he, he kind of uh, um, opens up the human heart and, and kind of lays it out there. You get to see who you are, what you think, when all of a sudden the light of Christ comes into your life. And sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's a rising up. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm going to have to bring that down in your life. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Well, that was so polite, wasn't it? Just advanced in years, you know, not old, not, you know. She was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow of the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. Now, you know what fastings and prayers are? Let's just take the technical part out of this. Is that, because I haven't always figured out what's fasting about and what's praying all about. Um, I, I think in the context of beholding, I think I finally understand it after all these years. Fasting and prayer is just predispositioning your heart to see. It's like, it's, it's kind of how you bring you in alignment to behold something of God. 
It's to kind of prepare your heart, quiet your heart, remove things in your heart, distractions in your heart, just so you, not so that you can get God's favor, not so that you're spiritual, not so that you lose weight, nothing like that, but rather it's just like, God, I just want to see you. I'm going to quiet everything else in my life. And this was a woman who quieted everything else about her life so that she could behold what God was doing. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continuing to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let me just stop again. If you're over the age of 60 and you think your ministry to the earth is over because you're too old to be effective and you've been told to retire, we have two people here over the age of 60. I'm willing to bet they're, they're both in their 80s. And God uses them to declare the ministry of God to the world, okay? So don't give up on your grandkids or your great-grandkids or your kids. Don't just kind of like, well, it's yours now. No, remain in this position of realizing that you could be the one through whom the beholding of God is revealed to the next generation. I love it. It says she begins to speak to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's what they were looking for. If you're looking for that, I am telling you in the next two weeks, if you will look for the redemption of Jerusalem or the redemption of the soul of man, because that's what Jerusalem represents, if you are looking for that redemption, you will find it in Christ and in the Christ story. Now, if you're looking for self-improvement and success, that's not what was on display. If you're looking to be the best version of yourself, that's not what was being shown. What was being beholden was the fact that God was, was positioning himself to redeem his people. And for those who are looking for the redemption of God in their lives, it will be beheld. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Okay, so now we're out of the Christmas story. So what happens next? Because that's really relevant to us. What happens to the behold? Well, what happens in your life when time passes? You know, I just was talking to a couple that's been married for 50-something years. What, what happens after the marriage, the wedding, the ceremony? What happens after kids? What happens after retirement? What happens after the job? What happens after you move out of your parents' house? What happens after you join the military? What happens after college? What, there's always what happens after. You know, there really is. There, there's always what happens. I, I, I did a, a beautiful wedding yesterday, and, and I had the opportunity to be with the great young couple who are here today. And, and then four or five military officers, sharp military officers from the Navy, and um, all, you know, going to submarines and to, to nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. And I was just like, for, the, for a split second, I was like, oh, I mean, you know, it's like, what an amazing life they're living. All of them, they were, you would have been proud of every one of them. They, they representing our country and, and it was like they were all sharp and all, and I was like, oh, I wish I could go back 
and do that, you know? And, 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 and I thought, no, no, they'll end up where I'm at one, one day because there's always a point in your life is uh, what happens after. You know, we all had that, that moment maybe in high school when, you know, being out on the football field or enjoying that moment in high school. We all had that moment in college where, you know, it's exciting in front of those frat, frat parties and those incredible times. We all, but there always is this what happens after. And that's what happens here. And this is what happens with Christ. People get busy. People forget. People become overfamiliar. Things that were once special no longer remain special. The Navy that I joined back in 1978, you know, I was excited for five years later. I couldn't wait to get out of it and get on with my life. There always is what happens after. So what happened with Jesus? 12 years later. 12 years later after this beholding moment has occurred. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Unaware. Let that, let that word just drop into you. I know they're the holy family and they're holy perfect and all that stuff. I'm just joking. They're not. Um, they have moved into this place of what happens after. And they moved into this place of no longer being aware. And it happens to all of us. His parents were unaware of it, that he stayed behind, but they supposed him to be in the caravan. Dodge was the first one to make the caravan, and they had a Dodge caravan here. They supposed him to be in the caravan and went to day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. I looked at that story, and two phrases popped up to me. They supposed him to be... That's what we do afterwards with Christ, after the beholding. We begin to suppose things. Or, I even like the phrase, and they began looking for him among relatives and acquaintances. What does a relative and acquaintance language mean to me from a time-space thing? See, you have immediate family. I mean, husband, wife, you know, husband, wife, and child. Now you take one step further away from that inner tight circle to relatives. Then you take another step away from it to acquaintances. See, that's what the word suppose means. It's when you take something for granted. I know it, I believe it, I stand in it. I suppose it. See, they, it's crazy how the word suppose represents a mental disposition that the phrases um, family and acquaintances represent relationally. See, I think all of us do this. I don't know if it's after 12 years. I don't know when it takes place for us, but we begin to take a little step sideways. We suppose on our relationship with God. We don't actually have it present with us. 
I got saved, and I know when I got saved. Well, not really, kind of, sort of, because I don't know where the journey actually kind of, you know, arrived at the ha-ha moment. But 1981, 1981. But after 1981, there's been a lot of moments where I knew God was me. I knew God's doing something in my life. I know I believe that. But all of a sudden, faith kind of got supposed, you know, it be, faith, when it becomes supposed, becomes kind of like hope. And then hope, when it gets supposed, becomes wishing, you know. It all kind of migrates further away from this real in the presence thing. Somehow Mary and Joseph supposed on the presence of Jesus. And I think it's a beautiful story and reminder to us that maybe we're supposing on Jesus. Maybe we've allowed him to move into the realm of acquaintance, but not present with us in this particular moment. It happens to everybody. It's the language of over-familiarity. You read that Bible story, you, you went to church, you did those things, you learned those prayers, and it all begins to migrate from in the presence with God to this place of supposing and over-familiarity. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Oh, he's going to get it when we, oh, he's going to lose his cell phone. I mean, it's, then after three days, they found him in the temple. After three days, okay, Three days. They went back to Jerusalem. So here's the thing. You gave birth to the Son of God in a miraculous way. You were told he was the redemption of Israel, the rise and fall of many, all this other stuff, and you didn't think to go to the temple first? I mean, where did you think, you know, where was he? Like, they have some place where Ben and Jerry's or some place where he was, you know, hanging out? They didn't even think to go to the first place. I would have thought to go to. Three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And I just want you to realize that. He was still amazing. He was still oozing beholding. But it wasn't Mary and Joseph that were listening to it now. It's these other folks that were listening to it. So if you have gone to the point of acquaintance with God where you don't think God talks anymore, God is still talking. God is still revealing himself. God is still near people. God is still just pouring forth speech into the universe and into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But, and, but some of us are not amazed. Why? Because God's not amazing? No, no, it's not it at all. It's that we just don't want to be amazed. We don't want to sit and listen to be amazed. Or we've gotten too familiar with what we have heard. But from this story, it seems like Jesus has still got it. Now as a 12-year-old. Boy, that'd be intimidating as a parent, wouldn't it? I mean, your 12-year-old's got crowds around him listening to him. He's, he's communicating. But just realize this. It wasn't because Jesus became annoying. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? I love this. This is a massive mess up. Okay? Because we all do this. 
We get far away from God. We get, move him into the realm of acquaintance and supposing. And then when something goes wrong in our lives, we go to God and say, why are you treating us this way? And Jesus is like, you know, I don't want to say he's doing this to his mom, but, you know, uh, uh, but, but he's going to kind of like thump their heads a little bit. And, 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 and um, he said, she says, behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. It's like, let's be honest here. You forgot me. You can act like you were looking for me, but you forgot what I am about. Though you had genetic miracles occur around you, though I was presented at the temple and prophets and prophetess were, were spouting out what I was going to be, but let's be honest, you left me behind. This is not the result of an earnest pursuit of finding me. And I gotta be honest with you, if you don't know who God is, let me ask, if you will honestly pursue after him, according to Jeremiah, he will be found by you. He will present himself to you. But we gotta be honest. Are you really looking? Are you really looking? And then he said to them, and he has every right to say this, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? It's like, why were, you, why were you searching all over the place? Why were you over there and then at the mall and then you were over there at that, that my buddy's house? And why were you? You've totally forgotten what I'm about, haven't you? And that's where we are today. Twenty years later. 20 years later, Jesus came home to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue of the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. This is one of the greatest behold moments of all of Scripture. Quoting Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, everybody's, they got the one part of the DNA, one strength, they're seeing it, they just heard what he said. Now the question is, is this other part gonna join together? So everybody's just quiet, like you are today. They were all just fixed on him. And he's like, all right, let's see what happens. And then out of Mark's gospel, we're told the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Isn't this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James 
and Osais and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. See, they took the journey from miracles to family to acquaintance to supposing to the place of like, who are you? See, the devaluation of over-familiarity. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way and he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them and he wondered at their unbelief. Wow. Now let me just say, it's not that Jesus lost his power. They forfeited his implication. It's a big difference. Wasn't that Jesus couldn't do it because Jesus doesn't, isn't all powerful at this moment. It was just kind of like more of a, a legality. I can't do this, okay? I can't do this, not because I lost power, but I can't do this because the DNA is not coming together. It's because your seeing is producing rage. You know, your over-familiarity is moving into the, re the realm of, of rejecting who I am. And it's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just can't do it. And see, maybe we're at a place in our own lives that's not that Jesus isn't real, God isn't real, or that God doesn't do miracles. Maybe we are just not walking in the kind of faith that brings about the full implication of God. I, I can admit that. I, there's a lot of times I believed in God. I could defend God. I could prove to some degree you know, within about a, you know, 92 to 98% accuracy uh, the existence of God. But there were a lot of times, but is he going to heal me? <laughs> Fix my marriage? <sighs> You know, I'm the biggest eye-roll Christian in this room when it comes to whether or not God can do something. It's like, wow. It's like, guess what I'll do since you don't think I can do something? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to honor you. I'm not going to do it. And Jesus walks away from his hometown. I think that's what's happening in American churches across America. I really do. I think I got a book of revelations that will back it up that... I think Jesus just walking out of churches all across America. He's like, yeah, you, I don't know what you guys are doing. You guys are all into all kinds of crazy stuff, preaching all kinds of different gospels. You guys really, and you guys don't even think I'm going to do anything. When, I'm, when I said, when two or more are gathered, I'll be right there in U.S. You guys, you know. There were a couple different dispositions of heart in this story. There were those who positioned themselves to see great things that God was doing no matter how long it would take for it to take place. There were some people that were just like, I don't care how long it takes God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, 
wait on you. I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to be ready and watch. Then there were those who at time forgot. Like us, we just forget the story. What, what is there, the implication? Related to it, but not present. You know, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord in 1981. Yeah, okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm related to it, but am I present in it? There are those who are become over-familiar. There are times we leave it behind, leaving behind the real story, just like Mary and Joseph. He's like, listen, why were you looking for me? You know I'm about my father's house. You know, you left that behind. And maybe you're here today and you have left this, the implication of Jesus behind. And, and then there, then those who at times who forget who Jesus really is and what he can do in our lives. I think we've forgotten that. Our unbelief renders his story unfulfilled in our lives. I think we've forgotten who he is, to restore sight to the blind, to set free the captive. I mean, this was an incredible story. This is, the implication is amazing. And then I would say the sixth type of heart is this is remembering at times all of those could be the same person. Forgetting God, becoming over-familiar with God. This could be all of us. At different times, I've been over-familiar with him. At some times, I've left him behind. At some times, I really don't really think about who Jesus is. You know, I really don't consider the implication. And if, if you're honest, you're probably on that exact same journey with me. But Mary and Joseph, we've got to give them credit. They went back and got them. They could have said, like most people with 12-year-olds today, <laughs> they got them. Tag, you're it. That's your kid now. Now they realize something's missing. And they went back and got him. So today... As we close out, let's go back and get what we left behind. What did we leave behind? Well, according to Simeon, we left behind the light of revelation. According to Anna, we left behind the glory of humanity and to his people. What we left behind was the salvation, the redemption of all people to behold. Today, behold the true spirit of Christmas. What is it all about? Well, let me read to you it. This is it. This is what it's all about. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, says the Lord. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 2,000 years later, the Spirit of the Lord is still proclaiming release to the captive, recovery of the behold to those who are living in darkness and freedom and the favor of the Lord to all those who look forward to the redemption of his people. 
It's still for today. Don't leave it behind. Let's go back. And as we're taking communion today, it's interesting, we don't have to really go back in time. The table of Christ advances every day. It advances every day as we move forward. As we move forward in Christ, the table of Christ continues with us. The blood and the body of Christ, is, it moves forward with us. So as we come and we receive communion, we are reconnecting to the revelation of God, to the glory of Christ, to the redemption and the salvation of people today. Father, as we step into this present moment, God, we do not want to be of the people who you just walk through their mist and nothing happens. We don't want to be in the crowd that wants to rush you to the edge of the cliff and throw you over. God, we don't want to be a part of the crowd within whom you do nothing because they desire nothing. God, we want to be like Mary and Joseph and be honest about the fact that we forgot. We got over-familiar. We supposed. We disconnected from what you are really all about. But God, grace says that we can always recover that which is lost. And today, we recover that through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the wisdom of your spirit, that today, once again, proclaims the, the words of Isaiah over our lives. This is the favorable moment of the Lord. You are here to set us free.